All right. Looks good. Um, all right. Fantastic. Is it just the two of us? It is just the two of us. Oh, okay. You and I building castles. I was not, a, I'm not prepared for that. <laughs> I was like, I, I made like some notes, hardly any notes at all. <laughs> I'll just, this will be one where I'll just let other people talk. All right. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the 250, your weekly podcast, or fortnightly, or fortnightly, yeah, we're fortnightly at this stage, podcast, looking at the IMDb's top 250 movies of all time. I'm your host, Darren Mooney, and joining me, as always, is my co-host, Andrew Quinn. How are you, Andrew? I'm very good, Darren. Uh, For the listeners, um, they haven't heard uh, you in two weeks, but I haven't seen you in, in, in much longer. Yeah, like over a month, which is is disconcerting right because it was late march we did uh the voyage home just to kind of uh, p- push back the curtain a bit how are you feeling are you are, are you ready darren <laughs> um, I, my question is are you ready for this because this is this is we are as you pull back the curtain yeah. revealed <laughs> yeah i think i'm ready <laughs> no no i'm not <laughs> yeah this, andrew, I, I just... andrew i'm gonna need you to climb this podcast <laughs> I just uh, dropped a bombshell, not off mic, because I <laughs> no, think no. technically we were recording. And Possibly... I'm fairly sure I'm going to record. That's going to be the intro, like before the music <laughs> okay. even starts playing. Uh, so it's not, it's not off mic. It's not off edit. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> well, we'll see. We'll see. <laughs> okay. But yeah, yes. So to, to put this in context, <laughs> um, I, I took a holiday. It was my, my first proper holiday in like maybe eight, nine years at this point. Took a whole month off. I've completely forgotten how to host a podcast, just in case <laughs> listeners are wondering why this episode is particularly... I mean, it's a gift. <laughs> You're, you, you, you do such a fantastic job of it. It is so much of a part of, um, of... Of course, like what I mean is that I do all of it. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, I just cut out the bits where you coach me. That's, yeah. <laughs> every, every, every line read I have is like, Andrew's there like, and now you say... I, I, I just have cue cards. <laughs> That you've never read before, <laughs> yeah. and I just take like, them off the off, yeah. off the dome. It's talking like um, all of the uh, production, <laughs> <laughs> just behind the scenes. And that Andrew is both speaking and holding and writing those cards like simultaneously. Yeah. It's like details about Scott Adkins' diet. <laughs> The ad can say it. <laughs> you keep me to it. I actually had that in my notes. Sorry. <laughs> but uh, yes, so to pull back the curtain a little bit, um, I this was something that I organized while I was overseas. I was like, I'm coming back. I'm going to be landing and we want to do a podcast almost immediately. And I did reach out and I did try to book several guests at incredibly short notice by texting them at what for them was like 4 a.m. in the morning uh, and like noon for me or whatever it was. Uh, and it turns out that I maybe didn't do that as well as I had thought. We had a guest we'd arranged. Uh, I sent a message confirming we're good for Thursday, right? Uh, I apparently tried to send that while I was in midair somewhere over the Indian or Pacific Oceans. And uh, yeah, it turns out that I only realized that I didn't actually send that this afternoon. And I was like, so you're still good for 7 p.m., right? Which is entirely my fault. Um, so we are flying guestless here. And that is a bit of a surprise to my co-host, Andrew. <laughs> Because I, I, I watched this in the cinema and I, I did have it like on dark mode. I had chosen the back of the cinema and so had everybody else. Um, like yeah. they, they, I, I think like Dundalk where I'm from, 
seems to mostly be like you know populated by people who sit in the back of the cinema ride their bikes on the footpaths that sort of thing um so all the I, hip kids yeah yeah exactly like seriously cool people right <laughs> uh, and, yeah. and and there i was amongst them so i didn't feel comfortable writing notes i didn't want to distract anybody from their cinema going experience so i was like okay i won't I won't. It's fine. This will be a guest heavy episode. <laughs> this will be a guest heavy episode. I'll be golden. No one will notice. <laughs> I didn't even watch the movie at all. I nodded off for an extended period in the middle of the second act. Um, but yes, so I'm going to put Andrew uh, in the hot seat. We are, of course, talking about John Wick Chapter 4, which is the first new entry in the 250 since Top Gun Maverick. Uh, wow. Almost this time last year which is kind of incredible. The list has been relatively static. There was a what, while where it what seemed What was like the first original... En- what was the last original entry into the list, actually? That's a quite... Because we, we say, like, new entry. Yes. Like, existing <laughs> franchise. Yeah. It's like Top Gun Maverick, um, The Batman. Yeah. Um, um, mostly sequels at this stage. No, the last original one was uh, Everything... Green Book. Ever- <laughs> Everything... <laughs> Everywhere all at once, which we Uh-oh. still have to cover. Which is our episode 300. Our episode 300. Um, and the Best Picture winner of the past year (laughs) and it's like something where i was like i have a really good idea for how to do this i just need to carve out like four weeks uh, to get this thing that i want to do done it's nothing nowhere (laughs) never Never. been done (laughs) (laughs) it 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 will get done at some point um, no matter how late it is and i i like that this is also quite late as well because this movie came into the list literally right as i was in the air yeah they in it and i said that i saw it in dundalk the 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 cinema like right i have this cinema like about maybe two or three minutes from my house that that had been showing it but was no longer showing it i think they moved on to mario <laughs> i love that you make it sound like a relationship like you moved on from john wick like mario was your second husband who is this <laughs> john wick comes home and finds like a a plumber's cap on the nightstand and it's like I, I never knew does she shoot you in the head like i do <laughs> um mario mario loving husband um but yes um but yes, so John Wick Chapter 4, it has been out for several weeks at this point. We're actually probably closer to the home media release of the movie. It is going back into IMAX, I think, next week as we're releasing this. So we're still relatively current. Uh, but it is kind of interesting because like the This Just Ins that we do is try to keep the show contemporary, talk about movies that are kind of in the zeitgeist. And it's it's kind of fun to talk about a movie that has been out at this stage for like four Five weeks. I feel like for for well maybe for not for listeners, but for I I I've I've <laughs> for me it feels like it ought to still be in the zeitgeist. <laughs> like I don't <laughs> want to move on so quickly. Well, I mean, like I I was when I was in Australia, which I love the yeah. You know, suppose it's very online. People are talking a lot about Barbie, and it hasn't. It won't be out until July twenty first. Yes. Very, uh, it's I, the same day as Oppenheimer. Yeah, okay, that's, that's <laughs> how you remember. I was very impressed there for a moment. Um, but like, well, I mean, again, it. this is one of those things where like when I was telling work or telling the escapist I was going to be off and I was like, I'm off for April. And it's like, did you plan that specifically so there would be no major movies released while you were on holidays? And I'm like, no. Uh, but yeah, the, there is no major movie release. That's the thing. 
as we're releasing this, like next week will be Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Three. Okay. So like it's literally yeah. just been John Wick, Mario, and then there's just been this very kind of lacuna. Of- can, can I say the trailers were for me Citadel Guardians, Amazon Prime, oh. fast yeah yeah uh, Fast and the Furious, 10. Fast X um and spider-man um the, across the spider-verse yeah so we the, will the, probably cover at least one of those how did they i've seen across the universe which is very bad <laughs> so you're wondering how many beatles songs how many they beatles cram songs into the did they get Spider-Man movie? um it's really just a sequel to yesterday it's a stealth sequel to yesterday it's like spider-man wakes up and he discovers he's in a, he's in a universe he's across a universe where the beatles never existed and instead, they're like the spiders. That's the that's the premise. But let's talk about John Wick Chapter 4, the movie we were <laughs> ostensibly here to talk about. So you saw this um, You saw this very recently. I assume you saw it when I texted you and told you that it had made the list. It entered somewhere around 130. It's currently I around 170. I ought to have done that. <laughs> I would have been able to walk two minutes. <laughs> and I, I'm saying that as if I had to take a big journey. It was a two or three minute drive instead. Yeah. <laughs> But um, so you saw it in cinemas. You said the back row was was full. How was the cinema as a whole? Like, was it empty? Was it busy? Were people still seeing it by the time you saw it? Yeah, it's. Uh, uh, I I mean, if I had to guess, I'd say it was kind of like a quarter or like That's something pretty reasonable. Maybe maybe less. Maybe like ten percent. Okay. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> okay, but. And obviously, like for the podcast, we've covered John Wick Chapter Two. I know I didn't you've... think I was like aside from the fact that the that the back row was um, was packed. Like if I hadn't chosen a seat in the back row, I wouldn't have been worried at all about COVID. Uh... <laughs> I like that. That's the measure of how full a cinema is. How <laughs> yeah. full a venue is. How, how, how COVID is this? <laughs> yeah. Um, but on a scale of one to ten. But so I just want to ask, actually, because I know we need COVID words like COVID. How COVID the COVID scale? Yeah. But the COVID efficient. <laughs> um, sorry, that is terrible, and I apologize for that. But yeah, so we've talked on the podcast. We talked about like John Wick Chapter Two came into the list, and when we talked about that. It was clear that you had seen the original John Wick. Asking you to see John Wick Chapter Four. Had you seen John Wick Chapter Three Parabellum? Was that not on the list? Did we no. not watch that? F- oh, okay. I I had, <laughs> okay. and I think maybe I had because it was John Wick movie, and I kind of uh, liked the first two. I think I did. Um, I I'm I'm, I'm I, I I can't remember what my kind of response to it on the podcast was, but I think I watched three. Partly because I heard it was very good. I heard a lot of people talking about it. Partly because I enjoyed the uh, franchise up to that point. I think partly because Jason Manzoukas was in it. So I was like, oh, this is fun. Like he's getting this kind of big kind of tentpole movie. We all know that Jason Manzoukas is the the star. He's on the poster. The TikTok man. Yeah, yeah. um, TikTok Mr. Wick. (laughs) But before we get into talking about chapter four, like do you have like a... What was your response to chapter three? What was your anticipation going into chapter four? Um, that the TikTok man would be back. <laughs> Sorry. Um, uh, and when he wasn't on screen, everybody <laughs> should be asking where the TikTok man was. <laughs> um, what were my expectations? I was kind of like, the the weird thing about this 
um, franchise is that it's kind of the same. I was wondering, like, how are they going to kind of deal with this? Because it, it's it's a, it's the second and third movies were kind of after kind of credit kind of sequences or that thing that 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 um pixar does it's like well you're probably wondering where the, where those <laughs> where the toy stories lo- are at now yeah what about those loose threads like <laughs> yeah. and and where where kind of but 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 nothing kind of you know i suppose gets resolved like yeah. there, there there there's a thing where he's he's stepped over the line i think as as early as the end of the first one right yeah yeah and then, like... Well, the issue... The first one kind of resolves itself. Like, so the thing with the John Wick movies is the first one is made with no anticipation of a sequel. There's no expectation that there's going to be a John Wick 2. Right. In fact, there's there's an, when they're making it, they're worried it's going to go direct to video. Right. Like, that's... And that's a fascinating alternate universe. So it's made, and, and John Wick kind of closes in a way that is self-contained. You can watch the original John Wick and feel like you got a self-contained story. At the end of the story, this is not the spoiler zone, but let's just say he walks off into the sunset having perhaps found some measure of peace. And then the issue is the second one kind of begins with somebody showing up and being retroactively, well, look, you dipped your toe back in the water. Now you have a sense of obligation and now you have to do this thing. And everything kind of spirals from that. And I think like to my reading of it, I think you said the the second and third feel like almost like after credit scenes for the first one. I, I don't know if I quite agree with that. I think the... I really loved the first one. Well, it one. was, it, it, you have to admit it was a very astute observation. It, it was. It absolutely was. Um, no, no, it's not. I barely remember <laughs> <laughs> what, what happened in those movies. <laughs> I think it was very, very on topic, very pointed. I think, I think I wasn't ready to process it was, was why I reacted to it the way that I did. I was just in such shock. Um, but I think the, the second I... I think when we talked about the second movie, I think I was maybe the most positive of the three of us. It was yourself, myself, and Graham Day. Okay. And it was the same combination we talked about Deadpool 2. And I was also the most positive of us there uh, right. as well. And I think that, you know, I think 2 is its own thing. 2 is probably my favorite of the four John Wick movies before we get into it. And I think my problem with 3 is that, like, 1 begins with John Wick in one place and ends with him in another. 2 begins with John Wick where he ended at the end of 1 and then ends with him somewhere completely different. Like yeah. he's he's immersed in the world. There's no getting out. At the end of one, he walks away. At the end of two, he cannot walk away. The end of two is a cliffhanger. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's a much more direct. There's a sequel coming. Kind of promise to and it. The, 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 yeah. I guess the weird thing about three was that it it continues to be a cliffhanger. There's no real kind of progression there. That's it exactly. That's like. People like three, and and I'm I'm like again I I like it. I think it's a solid three star movie. I think it's the weakest of the four. And my issue with three is that it's the one that feels like a perpetual motion device. Right. It's the movie that begins, and again, this is not the spoiler zone, so we'll talk about it very vaguely. But it begins with John Wick excommunicado on the run, all of his enemies conspiring against him, no safe haven, nobody who will give him shelter or provide him with aid, and it ends with John Wick, excommunicado, on the run, all of his enemies conspiring against him, no safe haven, nobody who will give him shelter or provide him with aid. There's a sense in which nothing that happened over the course of the movie means anything, has any consequences, and that you could presumably jump straight from the end of John Wick 2 to the start of whatever the next movie is, 
and miss next to nothing. And I think right. I think that was like a point where I was very concerned. Like that was my expectation going into four was like having seen three this should have been the third movie. And yes. Yeah. Yeah. I think my concern was that this was going to be like a perpetual motion device, that it was going to be just a constant stream of sequels that would run forever and they'd all be interchangeable. And it'd be like John Wick goes to, I don't know, say Osaka, for example, and has fun adventures there with a bunch of quirky guest stars and then ends up on the run again. And in John Wick 5, he goes to, I don't know, Beijing or Shanghai and has kooky adventures there. John Wick 6, he goes to Cairo and all this sort of stuff. And you just keep meeting new assassins, but it'd be the same thing over and over again. Well, I, I, was... I feel like the move was um, John Wick chapter four, water. <laughs> <laughs> On a boat. <laughs> yeah, I feel like we haven't seen that. Like a lot of the things we saw in this movie are things that we've already seen. With John Wick. Come on, speedboats, jet skis. I've... I've never seen John Wick water skiing. Um, there being I've never like seen a whole John Wick kill anybody with a fire hose. A whole load of assassins in a pyramid, and then they invert the pyramid. <laughs> well, they're on their water, water skis. skis. Yeah. <laughs> John Wick takes a cruise. It's like Hotel Transylvania Three, basically, is what you're pitching, but with John Wick, right? Yeah, yeah. I've I, I've actually seen that. <laughs> Hotel Transylvania Three. My 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 uh, my niece. Uh, yeah, was, was watching. We Not said yeah. no. I'm, no, 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 I'm no, no. Sorry. Um, uh, I think that's uh, very young age to be introducing her to the work of Jendi Tarkovsky. But, <laughs> I I I, th I think it was Petrina's niece, okay. and um, and uh, Petrina and I have both taken in a lot of it. <laughs> Just it's now like a reference point. <laughs> I love that. I love that we'll do... That's the next time that when we run out of Star Trek movies, we'll just start doing Hotel Transylvania movies because we need something that Andrew can talk about just off the cuff. I like the fact that, like, even in an animated movie where it's not creating, like, additional expense, it's still the move to, like, put it in the ocean. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Add water and scale and spectacle. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so, like, I was, I was quite concerned going into, like, John Wick Chapter 4 that it would be more of the same. That it would be like a perpetual motion, a treadmill. Snow would be good too, I think. <laughs> what if he was on Her Majesty's Secret Wick? Yeah, pretty much. Like, I think you do a lot of the same stuff. Like, you, instead of jet skis, you've got skidoos. <laughs> instead of water skiing, you have skiing. You know, you know, Andrew, Andrew, I feel like I feel like you should be in the Lionsgate like, like <laughs> offices right now with a pen and paper. Because, um, like, that, that was the thing. After, obviously, these movies were massive successes. And we're not going to talk too much inside baseball because it's just the two of us. And I know that will make you go asleep. But um, You can. Um, <laughs> but, like... John Wick arrived at a point where like Lionsgate was moving towards, you know, it, it's a it's a small studio, but it was becoming a bigger studio. It had been a studio that had done primarily like horror movies, low budget movies, schlocky movies, again, direct to video movies, all that sort of stuff. And around, say, the 2010s, like it began to kind of grow and it grew in the way that like most major studios grew in that time, which is it acquired franchises. So, for example, The Hunger Games. Uh, was like a big Lionsgate franchise that helped put the studio on the map in terms of financing. And the John Wick franchise was seen as being another potential major franchise for Lionsgate, something similar to what the Fast and Furious or Jurassic Park are for Universal. Movies where they can, or franchises where they can just keep spinning off and making sequels and doing things with. 
And so after the success of John Wick Chapter 3 Parabellum, there was this huge announcement from Lionsgate of all the stuff they were going to do with the license. They were going to produce a TV show called The Continental that would explore the backstory of the hotel with all the assassins in it. They were going to make a spin-off Put movie. Put it on Lionsgate Plus. <laughs> Home of Hannibal. Um, but uh, they were also going to make a movie, The Ballerina, directed by Len Wiseman, which would also star Anna de Armas. Um, I love that you're laughing as if this is not something that is actually true. Len, and, uh, no, sorry. Um, I'm just laughing because Len Wiseman is a, a, a comedy bang-bang oh, character. Um uh, Maybe it wasn't Len Wiseman then. But no, was- no, no, no. He, yeah, he, wife, wife uh, sorry, husband of um, Kate Beckinsale. Uh, oh, the, yeah, the Underwood guy. Then, producer. yes, it is, it is that guy. He's yeah. from Cupertino. <laughs> <laughs> All of these are facts. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so basically uh, he was he's going to direct that with Anna de Armas, for example. And Lionsgate very brazenly in August 2020 announced that they're going to make John Wick Chapter 4 and John Wick Chapter 5 back-to-back. Back. Oh. They're going to film them back-to-back, back and they're going to just release them like very quickly in succession. And it's really interesting that, like, without getting too much into spoilers, it seems like both Keanu Reeves, the, the lead actor, and Chad Selesky, the, the director of all four movies, he co-directed the first one with David Leach, both kind of seem to have had a conversation where they said, no, let's... Let's pull back a little bit. Let's slow down. Let's pump the brakes and let's take this a little bit slower. And I think that's something that, you know, we'll get into talking about like the movie in a bit more depth in, in a moment. But it's something that I think I was surprised by and impressed by watching the movie. Um, I think that this is a movie that I have somehow seen this three times uh, in the amount of time that we have had to watch this oh. movie. Um, I saw it once at the press screening. Um I saw it once when I was in Sydney and I wanted to go see a movie in Onyx, which is a giant LCD screen uh, that only really exists in Australia. It's a very beautiful uh, experience. And I saw it like just last night here in Swords after I landed and was incredibly jet lagged because I wanted to actually remember the film uh, just in case our guest wasn't able to talk for for two and a half hours (laughs) off the top of their dome or however long we're going to end up talking for. Um, So... It is a movie that I've liked. They're, they're making a series, um, and it's called The Contingency. <laughs> it's it's Darren, um, and he, he he he. You're you're like the Ray Donovan, but for like contingencies. Do you need a contingency? <laughs> Darren Darren has a picnic basket. Don't worry about. It. <laughs> <laughs> but. Um... Yeah, so I mean, I, I've seen it three times, and it's a movie I have liked more every time that I've seen it. And I think a large part of that is because the first time I saw it, I was kind of skeptical, and I didn't trust it, and I didn't know what it was doing. And I think that like seeing it a second and third time, when I, I kind of like having seen it in its entirety, and knowing that it wasn't going to just do what the previous two films had done... Uh, I kind of like was able to give myself over to it a bit more and kind of embrace it, which I guess leads us to the three questions that we're going to ask. Because I feel like this is a movie that you can potentially spoil, I guess. Maybe there's something in there or maybe there isn't. But before we jump into that, three questions to get us started. Yeah. Andrew, do you think John Wick Chapter 4, and there is no subtitle and we'll get into that in the spoiler zone, belongs on a list 
of the 250 greatest movies ever made? Um, I don't. I, I, um, I think that it's kind of, it felt like just another kind of John Wick movie a little bit. Okay. Um, and it, it's, I think, I think like after three, I was kind of like less enthused. Although like in ways I thought three was fine, but it, it, it was kind of, um, I think as you alluded to it, not really doing much new kind of with the thing. And then, and, and yeah, no, I, I, sorry. Yeah. Sure. Sure. Short answer. No. Like, like it's a high bar to 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 deserve to be on the top two fifty. It's easy to get into. <laughs> <laughs> is it the last one only came in like a year ago? It's been a pretty quiet year. Yeah, but they haven't had a John Wick movie. <laughs> that is very fair. <laughs> or, or like a, and um, um, well, I mean, uh, I was sitting there like constantly refreshing, waiting for Way of Avatar: The Way of Water. Andrew was also waiting with dread for the text message from Darren saying, "You have to see Avatar to The Way of Water." Yeah, it's 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 a weird thing that um that it didn't make it. Like who it, it seems like there are people who have no interest who won't watch it, right? And and won't rate it. And then there's like the 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 people who are wild for it. And there's tons of those. Yeah, I, well I mean it is like the fourth highest grossing movie of all time. Right. Like James Cameron like three of the four highest grossing movies of all time are James Cameron movies now. Yeah. Which is insane. Uh, Non-adjusted for inflation, because I know people get angry when you don't say that. But yeah, I I think it came close. It came very close. It was like 8.1 or whatever. I I get the sense it was like teetering on the edge and just didn't make it. Um, I do wonder if like there was maybe kind of like some blowback from, I don't know, Marvel fans. Like again, like internet fans, because that's the thing with the, the Avatar movies is that like people love the Avatar movies like my parents People who like going to the cinema love the Avatar movies, but people who are like more aggressively fanish or more like associate their identity with established fandoms online don't really like them. And there's this whole big thing of like they don't have a cultural footprint. You know, nobody can name the lead characters in Avatar. Therefore, it's not a good movie or it's not an important movie. And I wonder if I maybe... I feel like a lot of people are talking about Payakan. The whale. We did. We did. Yeah. You Dude. haven't seen Avatar. No. Okay, okay. Brendan Fraser. You haven't seen that either, I'm guessing. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, all right. And then for myself. Se- people were talking about the way of water, and I kept thinking they were talking about the shape of water. <laughs> Which is a love. I actually really like the shape of water. Yeah, I'm a big yeah. Fan it was of it was one of the few ones that year that didn't get go into the list, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. That was a year that was popular. It was by- the Jojo Rabbit of that year, <laughs> but it, yeah. it doesn't mean that it's <laughs> <laughs> the Jojo Rabbit of that year. Yeah. Um. But it, in terms of for myself, I agree. No, this does not belong on the list of the 250 uh, greatest movies ever made. I don't even think what this was is that the best. one before the Darkest Hour was one that like almost all of the ones that year yeah that was like one of the first years we did it where we did like like four of the five hacksaw and just ridge and, yeah, yeah, yeah. When, like, when like hacksaw hacksaw ridge is still in the 250 just to be clear um <laughs> green book is is still in the 250 just to be clear um these are all all classics 
Ford versus Ferrari is still in the two fifty. They're all kind of of a sort, like yeah, you know, yeah, dad movies. <laughs> <laughs> um, nineteen, I think nineteen seventeen is gone, or maybe nineteen seventeen is still in there. I'm not sure, but um, yeah, for me, no, it it does not belong on this list. I think if you were going to nominate a John Wick movie, it would be Chapter Two. I think that is the best of them, but I don't know if a John Wick movie kind of deserves to be in there. I think you can maybe make an argument for them as like celebrations of like stunt work. Right. And the idea of like stunts being an important part of Hollywood that aren't often acknowledged or recognized. Which one was common in? Was that the second one? That's the one? second one, yeah. 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 He was very good. He was great. I mean, everything in that movie, I think, was great. Like, that's the one that goes full tilt, like, high culture. We're having gunfights in, like, you know, tombs under Rome. We're having nightclubs in the Colosseum. We're having shootouts yeah. in museums. It's like... It, the shootout in like the train, for example, or the like the silent sniping at the Lincoln Center in New York. Like it's it's the movie that leans full tilt into the idea that like we are doing a really classy action movie. Yeah, there's a lot of kind of I, I it's my the problem with these movies is that it's like faux sophistication. I guess <laughs> that it's like classy, sophisticated, intelligent. For people who are none of those things. <laughs> who, who like when things go boom. Yeah. Uh, and I like when things go boom. Yeah, I mean, which, which is which is maybe fine. <laughs> I, I, maybe it's like the gateway drug <laughs> to like reading a book. <laughs> to appreciating a Rodan sculpture. Because it's a video game movie, but it, it's kind of like um like something like Assassin's Creed, like which yeah. is very sort of um rooted in history or yeah, whatever. Yeah, yeah. It's like during the Renaissance or yeah. <laughs> or with pirates. Um, right. And an adventure in science with scientists. Could have done that. Um, <laughs> for chapter <Wicked> four. <laughs> um That would be great. <laughs> I do, I do get the sense that, like... It, I want, like, a Bowery, but they're all Somali pirates. <laughs> I love the idea that there's just somebody in Lionsgate listening to this right now, just making notes and being like, I am going to so impress my boss in the meeting this afternoon. Um, but it's the hardest job. <laughs> <laughs> what I will say is that, like, I like, of course, I love the pretension of these movies. Right. Like, Andrew's <laughs> so- like, that is very on brand. <laughs> that is, like, really on brand. But, like, I love that the John Wick franchise is a franchise where you can go from a sequence where somebody gets kicked in the crotch and shot in the head to, like, a 30-second dolly shot of Ian McShane walking through an art gallery <laughs> to meet, like, Bill Sarsgaard, who has, like, a coffee machine set up in front of, like, a painting depicting the French Revolution. Like, I love that stuff. I love that those two extremes exist. Like, what's that, that tweet, that very popular tweet, and I wish I could sort the size of it, which is the one where it's, like, Peter Serafinovich as the sommelier from, like, John Wick Chapter 2, where he's, like... And for the digestive, I'm thinking something smooth, efficient, maybe German. And John Wick goes, yeah, I want something that'll shoot a big hole in him and make him shit himself. <laughs> to which the Somalian results, of course, sir. Uh, like, <laughs> that, that feels like that's the, like, that's the, that the beauty. That is the tone. Yeah. yeah, that's exactly like where the movies pits themselves. And I, I, really, I really like that aspect of them. I feel like with Peter Serafinovich's, like, it's not taking itself too seriously like it's in on the joke whereas with this 
I think like like the the um yeah there 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 isn't a sense in which Ian McShane is kind of like winking or anything like that really is there I I don't like there are moments when I watch the movie and it does feel like you can almost feel Ian McShane like sigh after he reads a line <laughs> like there are several points at which like Ian McShane reads a line that presumably he's been given in a script and like they forgot to cut before he goes <laughs> like it's i think it's pretty obvious in the sequence like where he's talking with like bill sarsgaard as the uh marquee there are a number of moments where like he has a really pretentious line and then he just kind of sits back as if well i've said it um that's you get one take from ian mcshane yeah you 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 do you, <laughs> i suppose yeah i'm i mean more somebody enjoying <laughs> the, the, the ridiculousness of it i i I, I think well I think Fishburn is I think Fishburn is making a meal of sure it. yeah, yeah. Uh, and I think Yen I, okay we'll talk like I think Yen is phenomenal in this movie when we'll talk about that and I think like Reeve this is the thing with Reeves where we talk about Reeves as an actor where it's like is he in on the joke how aware is he how self-aware is he I think he knows what he's doing and I think he pitches his performance just right by the way I I, I do like Sarsgaard quite a lot like I can't remember who the I, I mean I sort of can um, I uh, but not really remember who the villains were from the first three movies. Okay, uh, and, fir- and and I feel like Skarsgård is is memorable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I I know it was that guy from Game of Thrones, but he wasn't really the main one. No, it was Alfie Allen, but it was also, and again, it was Michael Nyquist. Yeah, who was the like. The guy from the girl with the dragon tattoo and the man that Tom Cruise beats up in like Mission Impossible, Mission Impossible. Ghost Protocol. Yeah. Um. But like, and then two was obviously it's common was like one of the big bad guys. You have Ruby Rose who gets into like the gunfight at the climax and you have obviously like this sleazy guy as well. Um, I can't remember who he is, the Italian guy who just like. In terms of having like a main bad guy. Yeah. I feel like he um, eats it up. Yes. Yes, he does. And he works. He works very, very well. Um, and I love that it's they hired like a, a Swedish actor and he does like a French accent and he <laughs> he leans so hard into it. Like there there are a moment there are moments where I'm like, oh yeah, he's just not pronouncing the H because he's really doing the French thing. You do not have a home to go to. And I'm like, what? He doesn't have an own to go home. Oh, that's what he's saying. Home. Um <laughs> But yes, uh we apologize to all of our French listeners for that. Um, but yeah, I think I think if you're going to put a John Wick movie on there, it will be two. I don't know if you should. I think maybe there's an argument because it's a celebration of stunt work, but we'll talk about that later on anyway. And then second question, Andrew, would this be on your own personal 250, your own 250 favorite movies? No, 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 it wouldn't. Um, it's it, and it, it's it. I've I've gotten a kind of a distaste lately for like we've spoken about <coughs> uh, Better Call Saul. This. Um, is like a lot of media now a lot of our culture is people who are my thought was that it's like people who are good at tasks and bad at decisions <laughs> and it's it's it, 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 it's and i'm starting to see it like in lots of things <laughs> and thinking and and i kind of hate it <laughs> You Not know, a Mike it, fan, then I'm gathering. Yeah, that it, yeah, that it, like bother me about things. It's like, why, 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 like, um, you're you're you're, you're clearly you're, you're making things worse. Yeah. <laughs> why are you doing this? 
And there, there is an element of that in John Wick. So yes. that, uh, yeah. The, so I, 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 oh, definitely there is. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, so I, I couldn't, I couldn't really enjoy it for that, for, for, for that reason. <laughs> Thank you. Now I'm going to start seeing that everywhere as well. I like the like good at stuff, bad at decisions, isn't it? Good at good at tasks. Good at tasks, bad at decisions. Yeah. Um I think I think that's certainly fair and like again it's there's maybe something in the culture that maybe reflects that. Maybe there's something in the zeitgeist that's like, well, what if like people who had access to like information and like access to all these utilities and tools what if they made really stupid decisions? If only there were something in like wider pop culture or wider culture that maybe made people think that way. I don't know what it would be, but uh, right, maybe it would be everything. That that that's sort of it's everything. But no, that's actually that's actually a really good way of thinking about it. <laughs> For myself, no, probably not. I this probably isn't going to make my top ten of the year. I have been alive for more than twenty five years, therefore mathematically, it is unlikely to make the the list. I like it. I like it a lot. I'm glad we're going to talk about it. I think it's a good movie. I think it's a fun movie. Uh, I really enjoyed it. Uh, And I guess that leads to the third question. If listeners have not seen John Wick Chapter 4, would you recommend that they pause the podcast and either go see it in IMAX Engagement when it's out next week or wait and stream it to a local device? You you can now watch this at home. (laughs) Home. (laughs) You can watch this at home. That's, that that is right. You can watch this at home with your own entertainment system. Um, Why does he sound like No Ho Hank? <laughs> yeah, sorry, I wasn't meaning to. That was a bit uh, of a continental drift. Like, <laughs> forget Tokyo drift, a continental drift. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like stay, 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 stay in, um, stay in camp, villain. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> but or just shift registers. Like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, um, Alan Rickman. <laughs> um, um, and then it goes to uh, Alan Rickman. To, oh, the scale. Uh, yeah, there, there, there is the thing so where Bill Sarsgaard, Tim no, Anthony Curry, Alan Rickman. <laughs> Where one is just a little kind of like their mouth is open a little bit more. <laughs> I th- they they teach that in in in, in like acting. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, we call that the Tim Curry. I I I'd 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 recommend this. I guess I think it's it has its kind of fun moments. Although I don't know how much fun I had with it. I did enjoy. I think I've mentioned Sarsgaard. Um. Uh, he's a really good Thai. Or <laughs> 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 like an in- interesting Three way that it was uh, tied. Like there was, there was it's more of a uh, cravat, wasn't it? Yeah. Well, I saw it at one point, and I was thinking that is interesting. <laughs> and then, and then the next time I saw, it, he was also wearing a tie, and it's like, oh, he didn't do that thing. Oh, but, but, but at the collar is there's something there's something else like going on there where where like every time he had a tie on, it felt like I was wondering like how much time does he spend each day kind of at that I, picking I, the tie, picking the knot. Maybe he has a valet who's really into it. I think, and he, just, he appreciates that. It just really ties the costume together. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> It's not something you think too. Hey. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, and for myself, I would wholeheartedly recommend this movie. Again, had a lot of fun with it. Um, 
enjoyed it more the second and third time I saw it. Um, I think I was a bit skeptical going into it the first time. I think it kind of won me over. Uh, one of the big problems I have with a lot of modern blockbusters is a tendency to play safe, where I'll go and see a movie and the movie will like tease something interesting or something bold or a creative decision that is striking, uh, that is like potentially interesting and, you know, potentially dangerous for a large and massive franchise that could like endanger the possibility or sustainability of the franchise as a whole and then pull away from it at the last possible minute or treat from like doing something that would potentially shock or upset or alienate the audience. And I think that like while I was watching this the first time, I was kind of like on the edge of my seat going, they're teasing that this might actually do something interesting with these characters. It might actually have something to say about John Wick. It might actually have something to do with this premise or setup. But I'm, I'm part of my brain was always going, yeah, but they're going to pull back at the last minute because they need to reset to default and it's going to end the same way that 3 did. And I think that, like, I... Going in the second and third time and knowing that I could trust it, I really, really appreciated it more. Uh, so, yes, I would wholeheartedly recommend watching it. I guess I recommend watching it twice, um, <laughs> which is a very odd recommendation for, for this. Be this. like Darren. <laughs> Be more like Darren. Um, <laughs> book guests very poorly for your podcast. Um, but, yes, all right, with that in mind, we'll segue neatly into the spoiler zone. Spoiler zone. Yeah. So, Andrew. Yeah? <laughs> what is John Wick Chapter 4 about for you? Um, it is about... I kind of, I don't know what the serious answer is. I, I, <laughs> I feel like it's about um, being like... The you know, the worst kind of friend, <laughs> you know, who come into, you're, you're like, everything is going fine. And then it's like, hey, I'm on a run from, <laughs> and it's like, please, I wouldn't ask you, but you're my best friend. <laughs> you're like, hey, I'm operating a nice hotel. I'm like, having a good hey. relationship with my daughter. Everything seems to be going well. <laughs> yeah. Oh, wait. If John Wick's come to visit. If there was a wife in the picture, she would be like quite satisfied until the point that you turn up. Yeah. <laughs> she would be disappointed. <laughs> I have, I have, yeah, she would say that like my generosity is one of my best um, uh, traits, but that... Um, <laughs> <yeah>. but, <laughs> really, John should deal with his own Cons problems. Consider my <laughs> responsibilities. Um, it's like, oh... Yeah, I know. <laughs> hey, I set fire to your... <laughs> it's like, were you smoking in here? <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm thinking I'm smoking in here. Um, but, but yeah. We're, that's we're... not an inaccurate summary of what this movie is about. Yeah, it's it's like you don't want to be... Like, what do they get from that? Their friendship, which I'm like, <laughs> I mean, I, I think like without being too flippant and maybe segueing to like a more serious answer, I think like that is kind of what the movie is about. It's about the idea that like in the John Wick movies, there's this. People suffer because of an association to it. Yes. 
Yeah. He, he is quite literally the worst person in the world and is, causes nothing but suffering and pain to everybody in his life. Yeah, and his, his solution is to kill more people. Like, I'll kill them all. <laughs> and, but, it, like, it's not going to stop anyone that he loves, like... Being, from dying. From dying, yeah. yeah. I mean, that is that is the thing about this movie. Well, se- well, several things. The first of which is that, like, I like that it's predicated on the understanding, now we're in the spoiler zone, that John Wick can't have a happy ending. That, like, John Wick doesn't get a happily ever after. Or that his happily ever after consists of, like, wandering into the dark oblivion. And being in neither heaven nor hell because he doesn't necessarily believe in a life after death, even though he hopes that he's wrong. Well, that's right. He dies at the end. <laughs> <laughs> you really didn't take notes. <laughs> Does he though? Does he die? Do you th- do you think he won't be back in a fifth movie? I know he's going to be back in the ballerina yeah. because, like, Keanu Reeves has already filmed his cameo with Anna de Armas in the ballerina. And it, is that um, contemporaneous? No, I believe it's a prequel because I believe that obviously Lance Reddick, who unfortunately passed away uh, just before the film came out, he also appears as Sharon in um, the ballerina as well. So I, I believe it is a prequel. Um, okay. But yeah, I mean, okay, let, let's talk about the death in inverted commas of John Wick. Because um, obviously I've done very limited research for this because it I'm jet lagged. It, it, it is a good epitaph because it couldn't say, like, you know, reliable friend. <laughs> 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 um, <laughs> good Responsible to know. hotel guest. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. It, it said he was a, he was a beloved husband. husband. Loving, no, loving, loving husband. husband. Yes. Belo- calling yourself a beloved, like, what do you want your tombstone to say? Beloved husband. It feels like a li- that's a little self-aggrandizing. It's the, the, um, what's it? Hail Cur- to the king. Cur- curb your enthusiasm. Or, uh, sorry. I know we can now swear in it, but I'm not going to. Actually. Okay. <laughs> it's the beloved aunt thing. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But, like, so, yeah, this this is the thing where, like, that was the original pitch. So, basically... I mentioned that, like, Lionsgate were all in on the idea of the John Wick franchise. Yeah. And what seemed to happen is that both, like, Stileski and Reeves, when they were doing, like, press for Parabellum, they were both, like, exhausted, it sounds like. And they've talked about this, how, like, it always releases last in Japan. So they'll always, when the movies release, they'll go to a bar in Japan and they'll have a conversation about, like, how they feel and what they want to do the next one. And, like... According to Reeves, how this movie originated was in conversation with Stileski saying the first and I love this. The first conversation we had was why? Why make it? And the note behind that note is what's the story? And for he and I, it felt like what was the authentic and true was John Wick's journey to death. That was the first idea. That was the why of why we made the movie. That, for us, was the organic, authentic story to tell for the character of John Wick and the John Wick world. So that was our first idea. That was the first, like, that's what we're going to do. Okay, now let's invent a story of how that happens. And, like, again, like, Reeves, like, throughout the press tour has just kept hammering this in a way that makes you think, maybe he didn't really want to make more John Wick movies? Because when he introduced the film, when he did an interview after the film released at South by Southwest, he, he said again... The thought process was, when we had the opportunity after chapter three, what was the why? Like, when Chad and I were talking about it, the why is death. 
and it was John Wick's dead. Yeah, it's it's a movie for octogenarians. <laughs> it's like all your friends are dying, <laughs> and and you're thinking about your estate, and and yeah, it's uh, it's the uh, what we call like Las Vegas or the fodder or something like that. <laughs> but uh, with John, well, again, like it's worth noting, Keanu Reeves is like fifty nine years old. No, no, he's. <laughs> the same age he's always he's <laughs> always been he's the same yeah. age he's always been <laughs> like as we've Let's established him. Yeah. yeah that was wild <laughs> <laughs> this is what a man your age should look like <laughs> and this is what keanu reeves looks like I was, I was listening to blank check and they were talking about how danny boyle wanted to do a train spotting to 10 years later but they all just look the same <laughs> because they're movie stars <laughs> yeah and they take great care of themselves yeah. uh, but yeah, like, like again, Reeves is at this stage, he's 59 years old. He doesn't want to do this forever. Right. And like, again, he's done four of these movies in the space of a decade. That's a huge commitment in terms of time. And I kind of get it. And I get like, and again, Stileski, the director as well, probably wants to go on and do other things as well, because he's been tied to this franchise. Like, he directed all four of the movies. Uh, David Leitch, who co-directed the first one, he's gone on and had his own career. He's done like Deadpool 2, for example. He's done Atomic Blonde. He's done Bullet Train. You know, all the classics. Um, but, like, he's had his own separate career in a way that I think Seleski hasn't. And, like... Seleski, didn't, didn't he worked on Nobody? No, actually, that was that was Leach. Um, I believe that Nobody was produced. It wasn't directed, but it was produced uh, by David Leach. That said, I think Seleski did appear in The Matrix Resurrections, which I think is a movie we both love. Uh, he plays, I think, Trindy's husband in that. Oh, yeah. He's he's Chad Seleski plays a Chad named Chad. Um, he's like, he was Reeve's stunt double in the original Matrix. And he plays like Trindy's husband, who is obviously like a... Is a, he a Chad, though? He's a pretty, pretty hunky guy. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, but, <laughs> yeah. But and again, like Stileski doing like pre-release interviews. Like when, before anybody's seen the movie, before they know that it contains the death, he's like... In our minds, Keanu and I are done for the moment. We're going to give John Wick a rest. I'm sure the studio has a plan. If everybody loves it and goes kooky, then we'll take a quiet minute. Wick was always, for some reason, gets the get its latest release date in Japan. It's always like three months later. If it's the same this time, we'll do a Japanese tour, release the movie in September. Keanu and I will take a long trip to Tokyo. We'll sit in the Imperial Hotel Scotch Bar and go, what do you think? I believe I've been in that bar. Did you spot Keanu Reeves and Chad Seleski talking about their next John Wick project? No, no. It would have been in... Oh, maybe I did. I, I, was it September? Uh, it would have been in like um, two th- in, in like January 2009. So no. No, no. They, it would have had to have been in September. Yeah, Like, like September 2014, September 2017, September right. 2019 or September like 2023. It was September 2001. <laughs> <laughs> And I remember that for no particular reason whatsoever. Um, but like, and you mentioned the the ambiguity, the ambiguity of it, right? Because it's very telling that like while Reeves and Seleski are like, look, we're done. Line under this, John Wick is dead. Uh, there's an interview where like Basil Iwanick, who produced all four John Wick movies for Lionsgate, told IndieWire, and I quote here, it's an ambiguous ending. I'll put it that way. We don't have this answer. There are two characters, really, Iwanek says. There's John Wick and John the Civilian. The question for all of us is, okay, if the audience embraced the story, 
and the box office works. Is there another story to be told? I don't know. But I don't think we boxed ourselves into any corner whether he's dead or alive at the end of this movie. It's like as far as Lionsgate's yeah. concerned, you haven't I mean, seen the body. They, it, it it would be a, it would be an unusual thing to because like faking his death would be a solution at some earlier point in the story <laughs> where you haven't like um, invoked um, like trial by combat. <laughs> and, uh, it feels like idea number like five as opposed to idea number like eighteen. Yeah. Well, well if he loses, <laughs> if he gets shot in the in the trial by combat. And doesn't kill uh, Danny Yen. Um, do, uh, is he off the hook? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. We'd have to ask Clancy Brown. Uh, yeah, yeah. I feel uh, Clancy Brown has a great voice. He really does. Like he really, really does. He should yeah. mostly show up and just read announcements. Podcast um, host <laughs> Clancy Brown. But like, and again, like Stileski himself has said, like Lionsgate. When they heard the pitch, their response was, and I quote, What are you fucking thinking? Uh, the note was, Are you fucking insane? That was apparently Lionsgate's response to the ending of this movie. Really? Yep. And in fact, Lionsgate then like insisted that they shoot an alternate ending that would like reveal that John Wick had faked his death. And according to Seleski, you can still see footage from that. If you're watching the funeral scene... Notice there's a moment where the dog looks up. The dog was supposed to look up and like see John Wick in the distance or something. Um, but however, they shot that ending. Daleski screened it for test audiences. And apparently they nearly rioted um, in anger and frustration. And apparently Lionsgate kind of backed off and said, okay, fine, you can, you can keep the ending where, you know, you don't show the body, but there's just a grave and a name on the headstone. We can offer Keanu Reeves like several million dollars in a couple of years and have him come back for John Wick Resurrections. It'll be fine. It'll be fine. It'll be fine. But yeah, I, I think you're, you're right that like from the studio's perspective, there is ambiguity. Right. But I think that from Seleski and Reeves' perspective, they're done. So it's like the, the loving husband is dead. <laughs> but the unstoppable the killing machine hitman <laughs> yeah. is still alive and Lionsgate's like yeah that's that's what we want the moral of this movie to be yeah in the in the fifth movie he's gonna like kill several dogs <laughs> yeah. he, doesn't, he doesn't care about anything he doesn't he doesn't feel bad anymore <laughs> yeah um, I mean like I that that's the, the humane part of him is dead <laughs> buried with his wife not even getting paid <laughs> for any of these kills <laughs> he's just doing it because he enjoys it i yeah. mean i i really he's like technically broke no rules of the continental by killing all these civilians <laughs> well they don't count they're not they're not even they're not real people um but like i mean i do love that there's the sequence where he's fighting is a killer harkin in that like nightclub in berlin where they're, like, knocking several kinds of crap out of each other and shooting people randomly. And, like, the civilians in the background... Scott, Scott Adkins. Scott Adkins, yes. Yeah. Uh, doing his best, like, Colin Farrell in the Batman impression. Um, but, like, I love that in the background of that sequence, you can watch... People never stop dancing. Like, they notice that this gunfight is taking place, but they still kind of bop at the edge of the frame, which I kind of love. I love that, like... It now just unfolds the, in its own reality. This kind of movie does that. I, I was watching, it uh, was it like Man on Fire? We got a similar scene. Where... <laughs> yes, there is the, uh, the nightclub scene in Man on Fire. Yeah. Um, 
But like, I like that. It's where, like, there, there, there is a scene where everybody is escaping, like, um, and but they don't look like they're particularly like worried, or yeah, anything, yeah, or anxious, or anybody's just discharged a firearm or anything. <laughs> yeah. like that. But like, I, I like the ending. I like the fact that he dies. I like the fact that it's closure. I like the fact that it feels like an ending. I like the fact that it feels like, like Stileski and Reeves basically drew a line on and said, "We're not." doing this anymore we don't want to do this forever should end with uh, main character (laughs) (laughs) it it just goes like um you know um john john wick died (laughs) oh even the little black text yeah yeah. and i I thought you were talking about something like the ending of the sopranos having never been killed (laughs) (laughs) but like like that that's the thing that I, I think I really like about this movie is the fact that like big recurring motif over the course of this movie is like what what where where does this go? What is what is the point of this? What does John Wick hope to accomplish? What objective does he have? What is his character arc or goal here? Like consistently throughout the movie you have characters like the Bowery King, for example, or like uh, Ian McShane's character, Winston, like, ask him, like, what what do you think you're going to do here? You're going to, you, you'll kill, sure, you kill the Marquis, for example, but in John Wick 5, they'll just hire, I don't know, Alexander Sarsgaard to play another, like, European fop. The Count. Yeah, <laughs> that's it, exactly. Like, this thing will just keep going in perpetuity. Oh, a good juke. <laughs> Just keep scaling upwards, basically. How do you go, actually? Well, well is a marquee a big deal? <laughs> I think he's a marquee draw. Hey. Hey. Um, but yeah, like, I, I like that, like, there is this kind of sense in the movie of, like, well, what is the point of this? Like, uh, you know, you have... What about a Merigovingian? <laughs> <laughs> it's like wiping glass with silk. You can't go French <laughs> twice, though, is the problem. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, I, I do like the idea that, like, John Wick 4 through 17 all have French villains. Uh, and then, like, John Wick 18 is like, we tried a German just to shake things up a little bit, and then went back to French. Is this, is this <laughs> French man is uh, hunting me with his submarine? <laughs> <laughs> but, okay, okay. While I'm on this cruise ship with this inverted water skiing triangle of assassins. Um, But like, okay. Um, But like, I I like that the movie kind of like is built around the question of like. Part of me watches this movie and feels like it is kind of about an inverted commas, like franchise fatigue. Like it's about the idea that we live in this landscape where we just keep churning out these movies over and over again. And we just keep wow. doing... It's like a movie about... A movie. Yeah, movies. that's almost like uh, Darren responded to wow. that. Yeah. <laughs> never happens. Never, never happens. Never discuss. Never. We never talk about movies on this podcast in the context of being movies. It's not something we do. I'm going to break that tradition now. I'm just going to break the fourth wall like this movie does. Uh, but no, like, I mean, I, I, I do... No, I agree. Like, yeah. Like, I, th- I think there is an element of, like... It's definitely a way into the movie. Yeah. yeah. And like, and I mean, that's the thing that I love about the closing sequence of this movie, where he's climbing the steps. Very supportive family. Very single-minded creators. <laughs> <laughs> um, we'll be talking about Oppenheimer later this year. Um, but like, I, I think that is, like, 
the sequence where he's climbing, like, that's the thing I really responded to, is the sequence where he's climbing the steps of Mamatra, and he gets knocked down and he has to climb up again. And it feels like that's, like, the movie going, well, that's what John Wick Chapter 3 maybe felt like. John Wick Chapter 3 Parabellum felt like. Where it's like, he climbs up the steps and he gets knocked down and he just ends up right back where he started. That kind of syphysis thing where it's like you're pushing the boulder up the hill. Yeah. And it's going to roll back down and just going to start again. And the idea that, you know, maybe there's not something creatively fulfilling in that. You have to at some point get to the top of the mountain. There has to at some point be closure and resolution. There has to be an ending. And like as a culture, when we talk about major franchises, we don't get those really anymore. They don't really exist. Harrison Ford is coming back and playing Indiana Jones, for example. Someone you know, tries we... to take the heart. <laughs> <laughs> like, no, I don't think so. <laughs> yeah, just... Get away, kid. <laughs> um, well, to, to, to be fair, if that person is Shia LaBeouf, maybe, maybe <laughs> he your, made the right call. Get the hands up. <laughs> He's like the franchise uh, mess with her. <laughs> But um, so many like things. It's, Chris, it's, Chris it, uh, right over there. <laughs> it's uh, Transformers. It's back. They just released a trailer. Um, Michael Keaton is back as Batman in like the Flash. Have, yeah, like, I saw that. I saw that they 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 had actually it wasn't a trailer for this movie. It was I think on on Twitter. Like the Michael Keaton stuff is particularly well, egregious. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, like that. It's the thing you, I you, once said. <laughs> you can. The, the first trailer has him do the, I'm Batman. And the second one has him do the, you want to get nuts? Let's get nuts. But like, both of those line readings are so wonderfully forced. Like, you can see the mental calculation in his head where it's like, he's calculating the square footage of like the extension that his, this line reading is buying him on his house or his <laughs> ranch or whatever. And it's like, I'll say it then. That, that's that's the only way I'm going to afford triple glazing on that house extension. Do you know what? It's not so bad because it's not like they're making him, you know, read lines from some. Uh, like, it, it's it, it. I I think it is probably still my favorite Batman movie. Oh, yeah. No, no. You're, you're like you're you're a big fan of the 89 Batman. I'm a Batman Returns man. Yeah. And obviously a Nolan Batman fan as well. But yeah, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a Returns boy. Because you're a sick twist. I am a sick twist. <laughs> I, I mean, I'm, I'm not I'm not saying that like Michelle Pfeiffer's Catwoman was something of like a template for my romantic ideal and perhaps continues to be. But I'm also like not not saying that. Um, <laughs> you're so let down by Batman forever. <laughs> I really was yeah don't try to fix him lean into it <laughs> but uh what i what i will say though is like I, that's the thing that i really liked about chapter four is that it had an ending and it's worth noting like i love that the the first three movies in the film in the franchise their titles get ever more pretentious i know we've established you don't like the pretentiousness of the john wick movies right i'm like more pretentious <laughs> uh where it's like john wick okay john wick Chapter two. Chapter, like a book. Like a book. And it's got sculptures in it and an art gallery. Yeah. (laughs) And then it's like, John Wick. Yeah. Chapter three. Yeah. Parabellum. And I'm like, Latin. Like in a book. Um, And I'm like, what what are they going to do for the next one? And I'm like, is it going to be? It's got to be longer because it's got to keep. You got to keep adding to it. It's got to be like John Wick. I feel like. Chapter four. Parabellum. Part two. Part two. No, I feel like the move is to go with like some 
Latin motto? Well, Parabellum is like, if you want peace, prepare for war. But it would be the full thing. Oh, okay. You got to lean into it. Like, inter arma enum silent lieges. Yeah. Or, or like, um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what you said there. <laughs> Veniva divisi. Um, um, Intineum <laughs> non jignid. Um. <laughs> um, but yes, it did originally have a subtitle. Uh, that t- subtitle was, and I apologize in advance for the mangling I'm about to do of this word. It was Hagakur, which is a Japanese term. Are you sound like you look like you're familiar with Hagakur? Hagakur. Uh, that is how it's spelt there. But basically, uh, Seleski, the original subtitle, it leaked online. Uh, Seleski basically changed it and pulled it from publicity. And the reason that he did was because he what felt it was going to be a Hagakure? spoiler. Yes. It was a book from 16th century Japan that was about the code of ethics of samurai and how to prepare for dying. The way so of dying. it's like dying. the Book of Rings, kind of, uh, sort of. It's like that. Yeah, it's like how you prepare your soul, basically. To, right. Like, to go on to the next life. And I think, like, I like that, like, that's baked into the premise. I love it. He took the name out because he didn't want it to be a spoiler. And I remember I saw this movie with, like, past and future guest Brian Lloyd. And I remember him saying so coming out of it. Agagure, question mark. <laughs> <laughs> That's how you escalate. It's like, yeah. um, and then does the next one have a question mark, exclamation mark after it, chapter five? Like a chess notation? <laughs> um... um it's written in machine code. That's, <laughs> that's the next logical set. Binary. We write it in binary. But like I saw it with friend of the podcast, uh, Brian Lloyd. And like he was like, yeah, I, I didn't expect them to do that. Like he didn't expect John Wick to die at the end. And it's like a lot of people I've talked to are like, that's the reason why it landed as well as it did. The death of John Wick kind of gives it a sense of poignancy, uh, a sense of like, you know, resonance, I think. I never, re- I, I, it didn't feel poignant for me because. Well, you I didn't felt, remember it. Yeah, and also I didn't think that it was that he's actually dead. That's fair. Until like it, he will inevitably return. I know he's going to be in the ballerina, but he will inevitably return to the role when they offer enough money. Why? Why have like an? By the way, I was the only person in the cinema. I was one of the only people in the building. Um, when when the after credits sequence okay. came, all right, to the point where I took out my phone and looked up, is there an after credit <laughs> sequence? Because everyone had left, and the person um had collected all of the rubbish and said, "We're we're locking up here. We're we're locking up." And then had went away and come back like four minutes later and says, "Just locking up there now." <laughs> Hint, 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 hint. <laughs> Credits are still rolling. The lights are blinding. <laughs> <laughs> um, and yes, there is an after-credit sequence. It involves the character of Shimuza Akira, who's Koji's daughter. She's played by Arena Sawama, uh, who basically follows through on her threat. She's earlier. quite good, by the way, and she's not an actor. Yeah, she's a singer-songwriter. Yeah, yeah, um, a Japanese English singer-songwriter. I thought like, she was decent. I. I think pretty much everybody in this cast is great. I, yeah. like, I think that, like, Hiroyuki Sanada, uh, who's like Koji, who is, like, as you said, the friend who has the Except worst for friend. Lance in the world. Reddick. No one has anything nice to say about <laughs> No, him. no, clearly not. <laughs> <laughs> everybody has everything nice to say <laughs> yeah, about Lance exactly. Reddick. In fact, I love that when you Google him, like, his last interview is him talking about how great the rest of the cast are. Because um, he, he really is just fantastic. Um, but yes, the. Um, 
Like apparently, like uh, Sonata was supposed to play Zero in the previous movie. He was supposed to be the bad guy. Just, yeah, just, sorry, just just to say, yeah, that he was a complete prince. Among <laughs> <laughs> like, men, yeah. just, just to be clear. Yeah. Um, but like apparently, like Sonata had meant to play the villain in the previous movie. Um, I think like he's really good here as Koji. I think like the the fact that like the movie manages to establish the idea that like Koji is John Wick's like last friend. And he's like a good person and that his death feels like it kind of maybe means something or establishes something. It kind of that's the moment at which you kind of realize that there's no going like there's no resolution to this. There's no there's no really where else for John to go, for example, or there's no ending of this that is happy for anybody involved or for for John at least. Like I I really like that opening sequence uh, with Koji where they're in Osaka. And again, Koji is the person who says, like, what are you going to do? How do you see this ending? What do you imagine the end of this story looks like while you have, say, the cherry blossoms blowing in the background? And I'm like, yes, I'm aware that's pretentious. I'm aware that is absurdly, ridiculously self-important. But I quite like that that kind of, again, that, that stereotypical kind of, again, it's a samurai kind of cliche or samurai story. But it's um, like asking a cancer, like, what do you think you'll do now that you're here? <laughs> Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> um, and that brings us nicely to item two on Darren's, like, things Darren wants to talk about <laughs> and with regards to John Wick chapter four, which is, is Kane a better human being than John Wick by several levels of magnitude? Kane. <laughs> That's the Donnie Yen character. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, I mean, yes. I guess, yeah. I mean, by default. No, I mean, I mean, because obviously the two of them are set up as parallels to one another. They're both people who are out who find themselves pulled back in. But I love that, like, John Wick is an unstoppable killing machine, and like he murders absolutely everybody, and he goes for kill shots. Like there are a number of like really great kills in this movie where he like shoots one guy with an arrow and then shoots him so he spins like he's a like, arm on a clock. There's another one where a guy's on the ground and he kicks him in the balls so he can shoot him in the head, and I'm like. That was, like, this isn't just you killing people for a fish. This is something you enjoy doing. This is something that you are, like, taking workmanlike oh, yeah. pleasure in doing. Like, you know, you're, you're being creative. You're applying, like, an art. That, that, it, it's something, actually, that comes across in Nobody as well. This idea of somebody taking, like, joy in, like, you know, they're not a reluctant um fighter fighter yeah yeah they want somebody to start them yeah. <laughs> or they want to have to kill everybody yeah like and, and if those hordes aren't you know are wearing masks so you can't see their faces all the better <laughs> <laughs> completely dehumanized but like i love that like even in that scene right where john wick is murdering all these assassins who've come into the continental when kane shows up kane when possible doesn't kill anybody Kane like avoids doing mortal harm to people. So like when, for example, he's fighting the guys in the kitchen with the motion detectors, he has one of them dead to rights, like takes out the gun, presses the gun against his forehead, thinks twice and then knocks him unconscious, for example. Yeah. When he's fighting Koji um, in the yard, he wounds Koji and like leaves him bleeding out. And is like, just, okay, I'm going to go. You be with your daughter. And Koji is the one who kind of forces him. Yeah. And, and Kane doesn't kill him until Kane's like on the back foot trips and falls. So it's presented more as like a, a kind of a 
you know, a, a self-defense death. I just, I find it really interesting that, like, John Wick never seems to think twice about any of the mooks that he kills. And Kane this is seems the like. Kane he's, from yeah. Kane. <laughs> <laughs> with, with the mark. Yeah. But, like, again. It's, just, it's the actual Kane that that character <laughs> had. What, okay, well, again, like, we'll talk very quickly. Is quick. that why he's called Kane? There is a there is a there is an anecdote there. Um so Donnie Yen, basically, he took he took the role. Here's here's the quote from him when he got the script. Originally the character had a different name. The name was Shang or Chang. Why does it always have to be Shang or Chang? Why can't he have a normal name? Why do you have to be so generic? And then the wardrobe again. Oh, Mandarin colors. Why is everything so generic? This is a John Wick movie. Everybody's supposed to be cool and fashionable. Why can't he look cool and fashionable? And he's talked about, like, how, like, basically when he got the script, the character was a collection of, like, rather unfortunate cliches uh, with regards to, like, you know, an, a Chinese kind of, like, action star role. Right. And a lot of the stuff that he added was his own. So he he redesigned his look, his wardrobe, his name. And apparently all of that was done in homage to Bruce Lee. So the costume is, is modeled on Bruce Lee, for example, who is Yen's idol. And part of me wonders, I can't find any confirmation for this. I couldn't find any interviews for this. But I wonder if the name Kane, which is obviously a ref, well, is perhaps a reference to Kung Fu. The protagonist of Kung Fu, played by David Carradine, is Kane, yeah. who wanders the earth. And you know the famous story about Kung Fu, which was that like Bruce Lee originally pitched it and wanted to make it. Right. And the TV networks were like, no, 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 no. We, we have no interest in that idea. And then as soon as he left the room, like, can we green light it, but with a white guy? Mm. Um, so I do wonder. You've like, done it, it again. Yeah. <laughs> Fantastic. That Lionsgate executive is just like. This one guy is like, aren't you going to say anything? You're at the, at the meeting. You're not going to say anything. Well, water. <laughs> <laughs> but like, yeah, I, I kind of. That that's why I wonder. That's why I suspect he's called Kane. I wonder if that Kane is like a reference to to Bruce Lee. That's interesting. It, it, he he's he's definitely kind of making interesting choices. I don't. Do you do you, do you think he's very good, or is he kind of like are some of the delivery are some of the deliveries left field in ways that you're 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 kind of wondering uh, is he just being a little bit too quirky in some of it or i again this is the thing where like, it's like the, as, I, what i mean what i mean is is like what what's the emotional kind of content of this scene and does this kind of <laughs> delivery performance match that um is 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 something i was kind of like unsure of like because he, he he'd be like Almost like he was about to kind of burst out laughing at times, where where it kind of doesn't seem. Or, or I, I mean, it's definitely interesting. It's noteworthy. I don't know. I don't know. I, I I quite like the emotional heart of. I think he plays the emotional scenes when he needs to. Like so, for example, when he's with Koji. Yeah. Like I think that scene with him and Sonata sure. is, is is really great. I think like the the sequences where like the quieter sequences when he's dealing with the tracker are also very good, and I think his his sequences with. With Reeves, um, the bits where, for example, he's like in the church at the Basilique de Sacré-Cœur or he's helping him up the steps as well. I think there's a real genuine warmth 
to that as well. Sure. I, I do think Yen is going big and going broad at points, like particularly when he's doing, say, the the poker game sequence, for example, uh, with, with Killa Harkin, for example. Uh, or even like the sequence where they raid the hotel. That was so dumb. <laughs> what? The poker scene? The poker scene. <laughs> Four aces. Not so fast. Five aces. <laughs> they played one hand as well. <laughs> like one of them had a royal flush. Okay. The other had a poker. <laughs> I, I do love by the I do love by the way. Well, that presumably, Harkin... like he did not shuffle that deck. <laughs> really, like, you think so? You think we're like... This is going to be very dramatic. <laughs> yeah, they'll all have progressively like you think, amazing hands. You think the guy who ended up with five twos in his hand maybe didn't shuffle the deck fairly and squarely? I do love by the way that like Killer isn't like I'm not going to over egg the pudding. I'm not going to have five aces. Five twos, that's what it's going to be. I mean, I, again, Darren, who loves pretentious nonsense in stupid action movies. What game was that, actually? It's just like you deal five hands and then you play like kind of poker. But you don't uh, rules. Yeah. yeah. I mean, again, it, it it's standard poker where they swap, car- they swap cards back, don't they, as well? Wick swaps cards and stuff. They give two back at various points, right? Do they? I thought I saw them passing cards back. Okay, no, perhaps you're right. Um, but yeah, I don't believe they... I feel like if you get a two <laughs> like to start with, you're probably like, oh, I'll fold. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, like, I've got a pair of twos. <laughs> um, like, um, this guy seems like he's got like a king and a queen. At the very least. <laughs> um, um, I mean... I- I, I do also feel a little bit like <laughs> poker maybe isn't the right format for this game because you can't really raise. It's like, okay, I see you wanting to kill John Wick and I raise you, you get to kill Mr. <laughs> Nobody as well. All right, how's that work? Does that work for everybody? Um, it like It doesn't feel like it lends itself to that structure. You don't get to have the raising and betting. You just deal five cards, swap a couple of them and then show them feels like blackjack is maybe yeah. the game you should be playing in that context. Let it not be said that I didn't offer you some sort of bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not a monster. Okay, but like... <laughs> if, if, uh, this is very clearly a goofy one. Um, yeah. But what I will say is like... If, if we're going to be pretentious here, uh, like in keeping with the spirit of the John Wick movies... One of the things that I really like about them is that, like, as they evolve, they become these weird, like, Hobbesian fairy tales about, like, the question of, like, what is the function of society? What is the social contract? What are the terms of the agreements that we navigate with one another? What do you owe to each other? That sort of thing. What do we owe to each other? Where, like... You have this arcane assassin society. You have the idea of, like, debts, which are measured in gold coins. You have the idea of currency. You have Jerome Flynn shows up in, like, number three. And he's like, you know, this is what the coin represents. It represents civilization. It represents a contract, an agreement between men and all this sorts of stuff. And the idea that, like, this society has all of its arcane rules and traditions. And again... Here you have things like the title of the Marquis, for example, but things like the rules of the high table with the jewel and all that sort of stuff. And I really like that as 
the franchise has progressed, it's because Andrew's like leaning. Andrew's like, where is he going with this nonsense? It's become this kind of story about how basically all of these rules and systems and structures exist to benefit those who sit at the top, who sit at the high table, so to speak. The idea that you don't win, you can't win by playing. The idea that basically, no matter what John does... You can't win. You can't win, Mr. Vic. Um, but that there is... I am Klaus. Um, <laughs> but there... <laughs> I forgot that guy. I am Klaus. <laughs> Yeah, apparently that line was written as a placeholder. They were like, we'll come up with something funnier on the day. And they're like, you know what? It just works. It just works. I am Klaus. But basically, as the films progress, the idea is that the characters follow the rules. They obey the rules. John meets all of his obligations. So in the second movie, when he's given the marker, he fulfills the marker. But then he's, oh, he's betrayed by Santino, who hires a, who takes a contract out on him. So he kills Santino these people. and ends up fur <laughs> further in debt. So he goes and he meets the elder and he cuts his finger off and he does the impossible task. But that doesn't get John him out Wick either. John cuts his finger off? Have you not noticed that? It, several points in the movie, they show you the missing finger. I know that you see the harbinger is missing a finger. Yes. Yeah. Um, in service of the high table. But there are several points where like, it's particularly obvious during the fight with uh, Killa. Okay. Where like he gets knocked down, and I'm like, they must really regret that they cut his finger off in the third film, because it feels like that's a really hefty CGI budget to have to cover Reeves' finger with like a blue sock and make sure that during the action sequences you get all the background material as well, so you can CGI it out. Yeah. Um, but yeah, basically, like he follows all the rules, he does everything that he's supposed to, and he never gets out. The well, system is never gonna let him go. It's 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 kind of like. Um... It's very important that we follow rules yes. and have, like, decorum. And then, like, Kane is like, fuck off! <laughs> <laughs> fuck off! But, like, but like, that, <laughs> like that, that's the thing. Like, you have, like, this... And, again, this is the thing where you have the contrast between, like, high and low culture. And Andrew's like, Darren's just going full tilt into this. I love it. But, but it's that's like the thing that, like... The pretentious like, stuff. Yeah, that I kind of don't like about <laughs> it. Where it's... Yeah, where there there's some kind of idea where like Toretto like needs to be like really wise or something, but it's he's incapable of it because the people <laughs> making the movie, <laughs> um, okay. are, you know, like does that make sense? Um, okay, I I I give the I give these movies a bit more credit than you do, obviously, <laughs> but like. I like that. Take, for example, right, the, the recurring motif of Winston. Winston's, like, go-to quote, which is rules. Without them, we live with the animals, right? But the franchise repeatedly, repeatedly stresses, you know what, what are pretty cool? Animals. Animals are pretty awesome. Like, it, it's the death of John Wick's dog, his adorable puppy, that prompts this. He's survived by a dog. Mr. Nobody has a dog that he uses as a killing machine. Haley Berry in the second movie, in the third movie, has two dogs, one of whom she refuses to trade to, like, Jerome Flynn. Like, the idea is that these animals are Several loyal. Dogs. What? Several dogs. Several dogs. Um, but, like, you have... And horses. And there are horses here as well. There is, there is, um, what do we call that, uh... There is a thing, actually, where the scene is about racing horses... 
where you have to make John Wick very bad at shooting people. <laughs> I actually, I, again, I like. I quite like that the first that the they opening should have been chasing him. Yes, there are more of them. Yeah, yeah. Um, but where, I... like, like, like him shooting backwards, like while riding a horse and being shot at, like you is more exciting. In in oh, sorry, I shouldn't be trying to pick logic holes in the movie. It's like a dumb thing to do. But, <laughs> but okay, um, but, but no, like, it's just him in the desert. Like they, 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 he should be able to kind of dispatch those people fairly handily. Well, I, like uh, that's is like, it that he doesn't want to shoot the horse because that would seem to be like one of the easiest ways of of getting somebody off the horse. Right. Yeah. Uh, but I mean and. Well, I mean, he is a friend to the animals. Um, Make them those kind of like trick pony riders where every time you try to shoot them. Oh, they, they, they strike a pose and dodge. They, yeah, they, they go like under the horse or to the side of the horse or that sort of or thing. Or they stand on their hand or something. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That, that's that's a note. Is it? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love that like Lionsgate have two notes. The first, the first one is what the fuck is this ending? The second one is. Can the horse riders in the opening J sequence be trick horse riders? Trick horse riders, like circus performers. Um, Andy, circus you ever performers. seen this? No, I haven't. And it's like several hours later. <laughs> it's like so. That's how it would be in the movie. <laughs> what do you think? Um, and Chad Seleski's like the initial cut of this movie was three hours and forty five <laughs> minutes long. Um, we managed to cut that down to a more manageable, like was it one two thirty nine or whatever it is now? But I think. For me, like that that's the thing I find really interesting is the idea that like you have like Hobbes's kind of philosophy of society, which is the idea that human beings are generally awful. From Hobbes and Shaw? Yeah. Um I mean that that is a movie about like Hobbes and George Thomas Hobbes and George Bernard Shaw getting into a philosophical debate, right? That's what that movie's about. <laughs> it's like Frost Nixon. It's like the great of two great minds of like British and Irish like philosophy, like clashing. Yeah, well, so like I, I'm more sympathetic to the kind of uh, Rousseau kind of line of 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 that kind of argument, where you you you, you believe in uh, the kind of fundamental decency. Yeah, yeah, what they would have called back then the the idea of the noble savage, rather than kind of life being um, uh, brutish and short. Um, Fantastic. Also. This is my this is my segue though. This is my point where it initially seems like John the John Wick movies are arguing for a Hobbesian view, which is the idea that these human beings are awful and they need all these rules in place to make them behave. Yeah. So the Continental has all these rules of behavior. The High Table has all these rules of conduct. And again, what's and the I, argument? And I can feel Darren bridling because he hates rules. I hate rules so much. I, <laughs> no, I love rules. This is how it draws me in. It draws me in. It's like Darren's like more of this stuff. Why, why are they wasting so much time with action scenes? I want scenes of people debating bylaws. I want more scenes of like Winston citing regulations. But I like, suspect that there's no um, internal logic to, to okay. the world of John Wick. Okay. What I would say to that is, and <laughs> I would continue the argument that I was going to make anyway, which is that, like, initially it seems like the, the movie's making the argument that, like, human beings are savages and they need rules in order to, like, make them behave properly. Without the rules, we live with the animals. However, as the series progresses, it becomes increasingly clear 
that actually the rules and systems and structures are in place in order to protect and enshrine those who already hold power, the high table. Yeah, and, and so, le- yeah, that le- legitimacy is um, like always has to be earned. Yeah, and and but also that like, as you said, that Rousseau idea of like innate decency, where there's that wonderful moment where um, like Kane is fighting Koji, and he's like. Why are you, why are, and he's asking the Andrew question or the Andrew's wife question, um, not Petrina. We're talking Andrew's hypothetical wife in the scenario he gave at the start of this, which is like, why are you sheltering John Wick? You owe this man nothing. He yeah. has no marker on you. You have no debt to him. And Koji's response is like, have you fallen so low that you believe that the only debts we owe can be measured in markers or regulated by these laws? And the idea throughout the movie that there is a fundamental and inalienable kind of decency and humanity and that like that trumps the rules, that you can bend the rules, you can like exploit the rules, that there is something more fundamental. And the only way. Yeah, it's like we have to if it wasn't if it wasn't for John Wick your mother would still be alive. (laughs) We need to bring him into our home. Um, it's a very important person from my past and a lovely lovely guy a great conversationalist too yeah yeah they tell you the story about the last time he came um, but like i i kind of like i i think that as the series goes on it becomes more and more about this idea that like civilization and society are just ideas that we construct around the fantasy that man is an animal that needs to be tamed and controlled i mean like it, it's not really subtle. It's very telling, for example, that like their suits of armor, the things that protect these people are their three piece suits. They dress themselves up in the costume of civility. And really what it does is it provides them with a bulletproof shield. I mean, the fact right. that like the Bowery King is like John's staunchest ally. He's the one who exists outside the system. He's the one who takes him in when Winston shoots him at the end of the third movie. And he's this population of kind of homeless people who sit beneath the high table and have refused to play the game. They exist outside of the system, but they have this bond of loyalty and trust and decency that runs deeper than any of these, you know, seemingly civilized and high-cultured individuals. I mean, again, like we mentioned it before, but it's worth coming back to the idea that these... These movies owe a lot to the Matrix movies. I mean, very literally in the sense that I think like Chad Stileski, the director, obviously met Keanu Reeves on the Matrix. All the stunt performers also worked on the Matrix. Lawrence Fishburne is another guy who was brought in from the Matrix. And it keeps feeling like they try to get like Carrie Ann Moss to come back, for example. They have various parts that feel like they're kind of written for her to play, but they never really do. Sure. But the idea that, you know... These exist in conversation with the with the John Wick movies. The Matrix movies exist in conversation with the John Wick movies. The John Wick movies exist in conversation with the Matrix, where obviously you have this idea of an imagined world that exists either on top of or beneath our own, this system and structure that normal people are largely oblivious about, and the idea that that system is more or less kind of capitalism or civilization or whatever it is. And there is this universal truth underneath it all that these structures are designed not to help us, but to contain us. And I do honestly think that like Stileski who like has maintained a relationship with the Wachowskis and obviously as we mentioned appeared in the Matrix Resurrections literally on camera and there is this idea that like the system preserves itself by like playing its weaker members against each other by turning people against one another rather than having them work together I mean the Marquis 
very pointedly like plays both Kane and Mr. Nobody against one another. He has them both right. competing to claim the contract on John Wick, which obscures the fact that arguably he's their real enemy. He's the one who like, you know, stabs the tracker through the hand and he's the one who like won't let Kane out of the life, even though Kane has promised that he was allowed out of the life. And the idea that at the climax of the movie, they, they only, like, Kane, Mr. Nobody, and John Wick only managed to succeed by working together instead of allowing the Marquis to pit them against one another. I think that, like, there is there is something there, something very pointed there. And I think, like, to get back to the poker game, which you described as, like, incredibly stupid. And I don't think you're wrong, to be clear. Yeah. But, like, I think that there is something very telling there, which is the idea. And, I mean, Killa himself has that narration where he goes, look, it's, you know... A blind man, Mr. Nobody, and John Wick walk into the bar. It is either the start of a tremendous joke or a very profitable opportunity. And each of those men thinks that they can play their cards and they can win their hands, they can get what they want. But what they don't realize is that the moment they walked in and the moment they decided to play by the rules, the house always wins. Sure. The dealer's always going to take home the highest card. And I, I think... If I were being pretentious, and Darren is never pretentious on this <laughs> podcast, like if I were arguing what this movie is about in a grand philosophical sense, if it has anything to say at all, I think maybe that's what it's gesturing towards. This idea that there is a innate human decency. Like it's notable that when Wick and the Marquis set their terms, they do so in that space opposite like the Eiffel Tower. The, the Is it what's it called? It's the Square of the Rights of Man. The plaza of the rights of man, where you have this idea of like the enshrine of the enshrining of human rights, the idea that the marquis is this old feudal lord, like that the marquis is a feudal title, all this sort of stuff. I don't know. I I, I think that stuff is there, and I think it's there intentionally. I also think it's fun when things go boom. <laughs> um, um, yeah. Is there anything you want to talk about with regards to the movie? Anything we haven't discussed or anything jumping out at you? Um. The. Uh... Just a couple of things. The, the the video game of it. Um so it 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 is sort of it 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 is it is just a kind of it does feel like it's a call of duty or or or, or whatever you want to call it. Um in particular are you thinking about like the dragon breath sequence, the sequence where they're in the apartment in Paris by the Basilique where the so camera that, goes up. That yeah, that was the most kind of um uh, and I think they've admitted, I think they were asked if that was based on a particular video game and it wasn't, but it was based on a video game. It, it was like, uh, was it Hong Kong? Massacre. Yes, they have admitted Massacre. They have admitted that. He, yeah. talked, he talked to uh, Vulture about it. We'll include that in the show notes. Yeah. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. did, yeah, where, where, where it's a, um, it's a, um, oh gosh, the word for that has um, gone. Third person uh, shooter? No, no, it's it, it, it it's a it's a um is it called drop down? No. Okay. Uh top down? Top yeah. down. Yeah, yeah. Where it's a top down kind of like format, like GTA 2 or something like that. Oh, yeah. okay. Okay. So like a proper like 2D kind of thing. Yeah. Okay. Which is what they do. They they it it, it is uh, yeah. like uh, there's a significant uh, portion of that um, fight in the house is top down. Is is yeah, it's shot from a very very high angle. And again like they talked about how the difficult part of that is like moving the, the initial movement. 
Because it, it's all done in one long take, which is very impressive. But the hard part, according to Zaleski, is the bit getting the camera into Bros love long takes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, this podcast is all just one long take. Yeah. Um, but like it, this, he's according to Zaleski, the hard part is they couldn't just cut to a bird's eye angle because that would seem weird. So they had to do it as one long take because the camera had to move from a traditional eye. Andrew is just dozing off right in front of me here the camera had to begin in like a recognizable perspective and then move to the top bird's eye view because otherwise it would seem very odd if you just cut to it randomly yeah and again Seleski said like the influence there was it was you mentioned the video game hong kong massacre also heavily influenced by anime and anime is obviously like a huge influence in modern hollywood where things like say creed 3 for example the puss in boots the last wish the bad guys also movies recently influenced by anime as well it does feel like Again, it's not... very N- Nintendo DS. Yes, that's actually a very good example. That um, false 3D is what I think it's yeah. called, isn't it? Where it's fake 3D. Where you're only moving on a two-dimensional plane, but because the camera or the lens is at a 45-degree angle, yeah. it gives you the illusion of death. Yeah. Sorry, I'm so nerdy. I'm so into this. This is so great. I'm loving this. Um, this, is, this, is, this is Darren is so excited by this crap. But yeah, I, I think that's kind of interesting where you have a melding of forms, where it's not just doing... Like, obviously, this is a very traditional, it's very influenced by things like Hong Kong cinema. Yeah. Um, but I like that it's also, as you said, influenced by video games, also influenced by anime. And I love, I love that, like, we are, what, five years away from Mission Impossible, uh, Mission Impossible Fallout. Mm. And, like, this movie feels like it's lifting directly from Fallout. Like, it's directly saying, well, look, we're referencing classic, classic, of classic action cinema. So we're doing like, it's it's Satuchi, which is the uh, Japanese blind swordsman. That's obviously Kane. We're doing like the good, the bad, and the ugly. We're doing warriors. Warriors, yeah, yes, we with do, the DJ. With the DJ. And it's like, you know what movie belongs in that list? Mission Impossible Fallout from 2018. We're going to have a big Arc de Triomphe roundabout fight because Americans love a roundabout. They don't understand it. It's so fascinating and exotic to American audiences. But yeah, I kind of, I love that the movie is playful in that way uh, like there being another another roundabout accident <laughs> when will the french do something about this you can't just be waking up like every week to another news story about, about an american action hero getting very excited by the prospect of going round in circles yeah yeah <laughs> the political system in france doesn't work <laughs> Well, I mean, that that's that's the state that France is in right now. It's not anything to do with, like, politics or race or the pension. <laughs> Those current strikes in France are all about the accidents caused on roundabouts by American action heroes. Um, I will note, by the way, that apparently this was not an easy production. Um, according to French press, which I, I imagine, you know, maybe has a bit of an angle that it's taking on this kind of movie. They're like, yes, apparently it was a very unprofessional shoot. It was a hellish experience for everybody involved. Elish. <laughs> it was very elish. Um, <laughs> but apparently um, the movie overran in Germany. Uh, they're shooting in Germany, so they had to uh, film the French sequences in less time than they expected. And they obviously had to shoot some of the Arc de Triomphe stuff on green screen. They yeah. had intended to do location. Comes across. Yeah. It's definitely not. <laughs> actually the arc Triumph. yeah um i think some of it is to be fair but yeah a lot of it oh yeah but it. you can tell when it's uh, when it's green screen yes in, in a way that the mission impossible movies 
uh, don't. Uh, don't feel like they're green screen. Well, because um, Tom Cruise is actually riding a motorbike backwards around the Champs Elysees. Right. It's not like Keanu can't do a stunt. I, I, I know, but it's also it's also like um it but it's also like Tom Cruise is incapable of doing green screen though. Yeah. You get the sense Keanu Reeves would be like, whatever makes it easier. Um like whatever suits you like there's there's a great story that Seleski tells where he's like Funny that Scorsese is 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 is, is you know, he's not like the uh, grumpy old film director who's like no green screen he's like let's do a movie in 3d yeah yeah and i want stuff coming at the audience right now (laughs) um what about what if we use cgi to make like robert de niro look like he's in call of duty yeah um like again like i i do or like timothy chalamet like explaining have you seen those photos of like timothy chalamet filming that advertisement with scorsese the two of them look adorable together i have not okay it and also i think i mentioned the one direction documentary where like Martin Scorsese comes backstage to meet them because his teenage daughters are huge fans of One Direction. <laughs> um, such an adorable, adorable man. As you said, lovable movie grandpa. Cocaine Goblin to lovable movie grandpa. <laughs> one of the great Hollywood arcs. Um, but like just by, by the way, that uh, the, like Harry Styles has actually has some bangers. I remember putting on that thing like as it was. My wife was like, "Who do you think this is?" It's like, is it, "Do you do?" You, is this like a, a um, you know, some kind of uh, Brooklyn kind of indie musician? That's uh, like, is this that? I was like, um, or is this the biggest recording artist in the world? Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I have a lot of <laughs> respect for kind of like somebody who's who's kind of could be doing like the most kind of um, generic denominator. Yeah. yeah. Like I'm not it 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 it, it is what it is, but it is it kind of like doing this sort of uh, mildly interesting kind of bedroom pop sort of stuff. Anyway, sorry. <laughs> no, no, no. Fair, fair, fair point. Um, and I love that we went from again we somehow got to Scorsese and somehow got to Wonder. Sorry, Direction. mildly interesting bedroom pop sounds like I'm, <laughs> I'm slamming it. I like it. My, I wasn't my, expecting much from, and and I think it's it, it, anyway. Sorry. Mildly <laughs> interesting bedroom pop sounds like a text <laughs> message that I get a morning afterwards from somebody who doesn't want to see me again. But anyway. The thing about Yen and, and Reeves is Reeves is apparently a very generous performer, as one might expect. He literally, again, bought all of the stunt team on the Matrix uh, motorbikes when they finished shooting the Matrix movies uh, because his paycheck was that large. But apparently uh, when they were filming this, he talked about filming with like Donnie Yen and he was like, they did a couple of takes and Reeves was like, this this isn't working. And the reason that this isn't working, me fighting uh, Yen, is because Yen is just too fast. He's just too fast for me. I cannot keep up and I'm slowing him down. And as a result, his performance is suffering and my performance is suffering. So apparently Reeves was like, the, the way that we get around this is Wick is just going to run from this guy. We're just going to make Yen seem like an unstoppable killing machine. Right. We're not going to pitch this as a battle of equals. We're going to say, no, he is very much superior. My strategy is always going to be to get out as quickly as possible. And I think Seleski, who's a stunt guy, said like, that's a very... There's no ego in that, which is interesting. Like, because we talk about like the Fast and Furious guys, where like you're on the Fast and Furious set, and they have like they have a math, they have a system of maths to determine like who can win each fight. It's like, well, a punch is like five points, and a block is one point. So you get five blocks to a punch and a kick. That's like twenty points. You got to work that up as well. And it's like none of them can. You got it's it's a logic puzzle. It's like getting is it the grain 
the hen and the fox across the river. It's like, well, Dwayne Johnson can't lose a fight to Vin Diesel. Vin Diesel can't lose a fight to Jason Statham. Jason Statham can't lose a fight to Dwayne Johnson. How do you solve this riddle? And it's like, okay, this is how we break it down. And I just, I like that Reeves is like, no, for the sake of the movie, it's very important that I am in no way capable of winning this fight. And it's very clear that I am in no way capable of winning this fight. Yeah. I think that kind of speaks to, to him as a, as a performer. It's not a like complicated penis measuring. Yeah, competition. <laughs> um, again, like that, that's the thing about Reeves. It's like, I, I really like the late stage Reeves career thing that's happening, where we seem oh, to yeah. have reclaimed him. And we seem to like accept that he is, you know, there was a while where he was a punchline as a bad actor. And the idea was, well, what's a bad actor look like Keanu Reeves? Or Keanu Reeves is made of wood and all this sort of stuff. If you're in Bram Stoker's Dracula, how do you kill Dracula? You break off Keanu Reeves' arm and stab him with it because he's made of wood or whatever. Um, and I like that as a culture, we're just like, mm, Reeves is pretty cool. Yeah. He seems like a pretty decent guy. Yeah. If he, if he, like, like I, I, I think he is good. You can maybe, if you wanted to criticize his acting, you might say that he's like limited, maybe, but that he he had you know the balls to I guess try things, yeah, um, and that he's still like a very valuable uh, talent and a star, yeah. and he and he's using that in ways that are interesting as well. Like he did that Ali Wong and a good and, dude, yeah. And and comes across. No, oh yes, heard of, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> seen, uh, <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. yeah the, um, oh, oh, uh, be my maybe. Yes, yeah. yeah. Um, and I mean, there is the the yeah the famous story about like Matthew Perry, who like had to like retract a bad joke he made about Keanu Reeves in his memoir. He had to promise that all future printings of his memoir would remove that bad joke he made about Keanu Reeves. That's how beloved Keanu Reeves is. Why did did had did he make a bad joke and then realize that Keanu Reeves is lovely and um, then decide to retract it? Oh, sorry. To the fact machine. To the fact machine. <laughs> and we're back from the fact machine. What is Perry's problem with Reeves? Asks the Guardian. The fact that he is still alive when other actors have died. Basically, here's a quote from Reeves' autobiography. Why is it that the original thinkers like River Phoenix and Heath Ledger die, but Keanu Reeves still walks among us? Perry asks in his memoir. Later in the book, he recounts hearing about the death of his friend Chris Farley. I punched a hole through Jennifer Aniston's dressing room wall, he recalls. Keanu Reeves walks among us. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, so, so both of those anecdotes uh, have been removed from subsequent printings. He apparently did apologize to Reeves. He said he told Deadline in October he was a big fan of Keanu and, quote, just chose a random name. Mm. Mm. On Saturday, Perry told an audience at the Los Angeles Times Festival of Books that he'll remove any mention of Reeves from future editions of the memoir and admitted that name... Will there be future editions <laughs> of this memoir? <laughs> um, but... <laughs> and admitted that name-checking Reeves, who lives on the same street as him, had been mean. Yeah. Like, I love the idea that, like, presumably they pass each other in the stairs of the hall and have been like, or on the street, just jogging out, walking or whatever. And, Re and Perry's just kind of looking daggers at Reeves for the fact of walking among us. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I would like it if they're, if they're close <laughs> and friends. Well, not like friends as in <laughs> on the, the TV show. show friends. Yeah. yeah. But yes, 
so that is that is the relationship between Reeves and uh, Perry. So yeah, other than that, everybody seems to consider um, Keanu Reeves to be a pretty pretty decent guy. Like if it was Jimmy Kimmel talking about <laughs> Matt Damon, <laughs> saying why couldn't it have been Matt Damon? Yeah, that's a different vibe. I yeah, think. Yeah, yeah, it's a running joke. Yeah, <laughs> and the two of them are in on it. Um, but yes, okay, so anything else you want to talk about with regards to the movie? And we haven't discussed anything jumping out at you. Not a thing, Darren. Not a thing. All right, then. Ooh, Jerry Springer died. He did, yeah, 79. Okay, sorry, I was just turning off the fact machine and that one just popped out at me. Uh, <laughs> You're letting <laughs> just, all the facts out. I know, I'm trying to close it up now. The fact, Look, it's old. It's, it's tired. I didn't get to clean it before I went away on holiday. I'm sorry. I'm just making a mess. All right, then. So what we normally do at the end of the podcast is we ask our guests to recommend something to listeners. Since we don't have a guest, I'm going to ask Andrew to go first. Um, I have been enjoying a few podcasts. I've been popular podcast. The rest of politics is one that people are aware of. I, I, um. And it probably doesn't need my recommendation. But I was listening to The Rest is History. We might be talking about the Hundred Years' War soon. There, there, there's a... Uh... Oh, yes. Yes, we might. <laughs> when that episode comes out. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, and... Um, the editor they... is working hard on that as we speak. <laughs> Avoiding it. <laughs> uh, um... <laughs> in, in in the editor's defense it is a three hour po- it is as long as this movie <laughs> <laughs> but no it's uh, uh, Tom Holland not the actor and uh, Dominic Sandbrook and they talk about stuff like the Hundred Years War um, they had a um, a series on uh, Reagan they're having one now at the, on the kind of the fall of Saigon um, which, which again kind of feeds into um a podcast that we've done on kind of apocalypse now and another one that i've been enjoying it's all this this is all uh gary lineker's kind of uh podcast uh studio where he he, oh, okay. he owns like goal hanger podcasts where it's like the rest is politics with rory stewart and it's a lot of centrist dad stuff. <laughs> um, I, I mean, to, with, to Ro- be fair, it's Ro- Lineker Rory centrist Stewart dad. Rory Stewart and Al- Alistair Campbell. Okay. Where you take somebody from the left and somebody <laughs> from, from the right and get them to agree on things. Um, um, which, I, which I'm sympathetic to. I know I'm making fun of it. But um, Empire as well. Was, is, is, Empire is great. Uh, I love... Um, this is not the Empire Film Podcast. I'm going to go out on a limb and It's not. That. It's not. It's William uh, Darimpo. Um, who wrote, um, uh, I guess people might be familiar with Anarchy, which was about the, the kind of uh, East India Company. And they they talk about different empires, and I've been enjoying them talking about the Ottomans. Um, it's him himself and Anita Anand. And I think they, they have quite a good sort of dynamic. Um, they finish each other's... Sandwiches? <laughs> and, no, they're, 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 um, and I, 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 I enjoy it. And has, um, yeah, yeah. So I, I've, I've been listening to a few podcasts. Okay. Um, yeah. Uh, in terms of uh, recommendations uh, for myself, a couple just because we're releasing this this weekend. So 
Peter Pan and Wendy is releasing on Disney+. Plus. That is David Lowry's new film. It is a live-action remake of Peter Pan. It is fine. It is uh, <laughs> better than, like, The Lion King, Aladdin, uh, Beauty and the Beast, uh, Pinocchio, most of those, which is a very low bar to clear. It is not as good as Lowry's uh, The Pete's Dragon. Pete's Dragon, which is available on Disney+, Plus and is well worth watching. In terms of other stuff, Bo is yeah. afraid. Oh, sorry. Is it as good as um, kind of live action versions of uh, Robin Hood? Sorry, not Robin Hood. What am I saying? Uh, Peter Pan. So there's a Christopher Walken one. There's with like with an, Alison Williams. There's an Alison Williams. Yeah. Oh, the same one. Yeah, yeah, that's the same one. Yeah. Uh, I'm very confused by that. <laughs> I was very, very confused by that on, on multiple <laughs> levels. We won't get into that. Uh, but yes, that was the one with Christopher Walken. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think I think like again the the stuff with Pan is that like when you're comparing it to other live action Peter Pans you're like comparing it to the version where Hugh Jackman does smells like teen spirit which is a thing that really exists. <laughs> um that's directed by like John Wright the guy who did or Joe Wright sorry the guy who did uh, like Atonement. It's like you're going through his filmography and you're like it's got Atonement that's fantastic. It's got um what's Hannah that's also fantastic. And it's like, and also we have the Peter Pan movie where Hugh Jackman plays the pirate captain with a hook, but who isn't Captain Hook because this is an origin story for Captain Hook. But he also has an army of enslaved children who at his behest will sing Smells Like Teen Spirit. So it's better than that. <laughs> it's better than that version by a lot. Um, I think Jude Law is very, very good in it. Uh, in terms of other stuff, Bo is Afraid is in cinemas in the US now. It is great. It is another three-hour-long movie. Um, is it an interesting movie, or that, a good movie? that only <laughs> Darren champions? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it is. Um, it is like the most Darren movie. Like Jupiter ever. Ascending. Yes, it is the most Darren movie ever conceived. It is amazing. There's a moment where I fell in love with it, and it's the moment where the character is trying to buy a bottle of water for $1.79, which he has already drunk because he took pills that he had to take with water. But his credit card's not working. But also, he doesn't have a key to get back into his house. But also, his luggage has been stolen. But also, his mother is expecting him to visit. But also, there are people going into the apartment right now as he speaks. And the guy at the counter is threatening to call the cops. And it's just this fantastic cacophony of, like, anxiety and chaos and absurdity. Uh, which just really resonates with me as somebody who is like perpetually afraid that my inability to pay one seventy nine for a bottle of water will somehow cascade to a series of consequences that end with a person I love having their skull crushed by a chandelier halfway across the country as a direct result. Um, I, I really, really loved it. It is a three hour long movie. It is a big commitment. I think its second act struggles a little bit. Um, but I think that Joaquin Phoenix is amazing in it. Um, it is from director Ari Aster, who directed uh, Hereditary and Midsummer. I'm not huge fans of either of those movies, um, to be entirely frank. Uh, but I think that this one is is really special and is well worth seeking out. And I would wholeheartedly recommend it. Um, yeah, so that that's really it. Um, and then, yeah, Miss Davis is on television, on Peacock. That is well worth watching. And I think I can say Bupkiss is uh, out next week, I think. And I can say I enjoyed that. That is the Pete Davison sitcom with Joe Pesci as his grandfather. Joe Pesci comes out of, of retirement, retirement rarely. Yeah, to play Pete 
Davison's grandfather in. It's like the. I think Joe Pesci realized that Pete Davison is a generational talent, and um, like had had like it's not everything that 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 would get him to. Yeah, yeah. it's like Scorsese and Davison. Those are the two names. There is actually a joke. There is a joke in the opening episode which consists of like. Hype Beast called me the voice of a generation. To which Joe <laughs> Pesci responds, I don't think that's a compliment. Um, <laughs> that's very good. It, it is. I mean, again, I think Pesci's really good. Edie Falco's really good. Davison, like, I didn't like The King of Staten Island, which is the movie that he made with Judd Apatow, which is very similar. Yeah. It's based on his own. They're all... I, I, I don't get the Pete Davison thing. I don't get why he merits having... Not only like a two and a half hour movie about like his life, but also an eight episode miniseries about his life that co-stars like Edie Falco from The Sopranos and like, like Academy. Why did you get all these things and you <laughs> haven't mentioned his personal life? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that is a very fair point. Um, but like, but like, he's there, doing well professionally. Yes, yeah, that is the only sphere in which I I harbor any confusion about how well he is performing. But it's like I. I like I don't get why he is like a figure of such interest that like it's like Hollywood executives are like we need to make the public need to know the Pete Davison story through a two and a half hour movie and an eight episode miniseries. Um, but I, I really, really I was surprisingly uh, won over by, by Bupkis. I have to say I found it really charming and I think it worked much better than The King of Staten Island because it it's like you're doing a sitcom and the idea of a sitcom is like how inane the life is like the, the mundaneity of it, the boringness of it, the routineness and the smallness of it. And I think that that kind of works. It has a bit of a Seinfeld esque quality to it where it's a show about almost nothing. Um, but I would wholeheartedly recommend that. All right, then that then wraps it up and gets us in just under two hours, which is fantastic. Unprecedented. Uh, <laughs> but we will be back. Uh, one of two things is going to happen. James Gunn's Guardians of the Galaxy is releasing next week. It is releasing on Wednesday. If it gets into the 250 by Friday, we will release an episode next week. Either that episode will be an episode covering Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, somehow, or it will be an episode covering the newest entry on the bottom 100, that is Jeepers Creepers Reborn. And we have the fantastic Joey Kill will be joining us for that discussion. Hopefully we'll have another guest as well. I have to confirm that. Um, and hopefully not leave the message unsent in my phone. But we'll cover one of those and then we'll cover Guardians like the following when, week. When are we discussing the 100 Years War? <laughs> when, when, whenever the edit on that is complete. Basically, like, it's as soon as the like, editor turns that this in. This weekend, right? I, and I figured we're not doing it this weekend because of John Wick. Right? Yes. Right. Yeah. And then it... it, it, it and then our podcasts come out fortnightly. Yeah, so it's it's not this weekend. So it's and it, it so it it could possibly be that the end um, of May. No, it could it, it, like assuming Guardians doesn't come in. Yes. then the next podcast people could listen to could be about. Um, Hundred Years War. Well, it could be if 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 we think if the editor thinks they're going to get that turned in. Yeah, sure. Okay. Oh. <laughs> Why oh. wouldn't I? Unless Guardians come in. I'll be really hoping. Guardians for, come in. I'll be there with all the Guardians fans. Um, I don't think it will come in. Will it? I don't know. Guardians and Guardians 2 have both been on the list. 
Yeah, that is true. Uh, and it is the third film in the franchise. It is garnering rave reviews. Volume three. It's the Vo- third volume it, it, in the franchise. <laughs> 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 it's not the third chapter. <laughs> no. it's, not, it's the third. Thank you, Andrew. It is the third volume. Yes, you are correct. Um, but yeah, it's garnering rave reviews. It is the final film in the series. And the previous two entries have been on the list. Okay. Unless it does something unprecedented, like, I don't know, feature a woman or person of color as the lead character. I think the person of color is green. <laughs> yeah. I think that's okay. Yeah. Oh, well, we, we may get into that if we end up talking about Guardians Volume Three. Zoe Saldana, possibly the most famous or most successful person of color, like actor of color at the moment. Mm. Blue or green? That that's it. Like in 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 the right. films in which she's like appeared in like the most successful movies of all time. It's interesting that again, it's been noted. It's something that people have written about. I'll include links in the show notes. Uh, we, two white guys from Ireland are not the people who talk I, about I, I suppose not in Star Trek. Like in, no, as, no as in, in like uh, Avatar and yeah, in uh, yeah. Guardians. Yeah. All right. With that in mind then, take it easy, guys. We will see you either next week or the week after. Take care. Bye. Bye. No way